Welcome to a D&D Candle Lab. Welcome to the D&D 5e Character Lab Podcast. With your hosts, Karen and Dan. And welcome to the D&D Character Lab, the show based around the one thing we as players cannot resist. And that is compulsively creating characters and daydreaming about their validity in-game. Each week, we're bringing a new character to the table, drawing from a plethora of published content, and scoring it against a predefined table of criteria. It is then up to us to use our own personal charisma modifiers to convince the other that our baby is better. Dan, I think it's been a while since we've screwed that up. Hey guys, it's Garen. <laughs> and I'm Dan, and this week we decided to build characters around the theme of wise guys, very similar to our episode entitled Tough Guys. But you'll see, just as in Tough Guys, this theme can take many forms, and it doesn't just have to be a high wisdom with some psychic damage dealing. And I know this had to be a great challenge for you, Dan, given that your wisdom score in real life is a six. So I will let you collect <laughs> yourself for a moment, prepare for your ultimate failure, while I introduce you to Heek. Are you scared? Is that why you're saying that? <laughs> no, her name is Heek. Oh, okay. All right. Heek was just a tiny little Aarakocra duck person with her father, living a life of merchant nomads. But her father wanted more, and he soon struck a deal to become a warlock at the hand of a great being. That being turned on him. Spoiler alert, it was a fiend, a predatory demon that took him for everything, including his soul. And before her very eyes, Heek watched the day her father seemed to disintegrate and become a lich. She saw the fiend in that moment, not as a villain, but as a role model. The fiend used its deception towards her father, his thirst for more power, to control him. She grew from this and seeked out people that shared this vision of turning one's own attempt at power against them. And soon she found a monastic tradition that believed in that very principle called the way of the turning circle. I have little heart emoji eyes right now. Yeah. <laughs> this martial art turns opponents into bumbling fools at the expense of their own power. She seeks to teach this lesson with each parry and strike against any creature that charges headlong into glory as her father once did. Heek is a level 12 Arakokra, chaotic good, monk of the way of the turning circle, and she is an escapee background. Because I forgot that part of her backstory, the demon kept her in a prison for a long time. <laughs> the end. <laughs> the end. <laughs> Actually, very cool backstory. Very excited to hear about this new monastic tradition that I don't know anything about. But let me introduce you, my friend, to Patrin. Born Patrin. Pat That's right, Patrin. Born Patrick Olmanth III. Patrin was always a very privileged young human. He grew up in a town that rarely witnessed tumult and sorrow. Quite affluent were he and his peers, indeed. At a young age, his father instilled in him the idea of following in his footsteps and joining the military academy. As with the ranks, you earned great pr prestige, honor, and wealth. And because the town of Eberron was the leader in peace and diplomacy, such a path rarely resulted in seeing any real combat or danger. Patrick did just that. At age 13, he ventured off to the academy to become a general in the Eberron militia. However, while there, he received a letter from his mother urging him to come home immediately as something terrible had happened. Patrick found this odd given that most of his correspondence was with his father as they had a shared kinship of the military. When Patrick arrived home, he learned that his father had been missing for five days' time without a clue as to his whereabouts. The only trace of evidence left behind in, in the bed he was sleeping 
was a black dragon scale. Fearing the worst, Patrick immediately recruited his most trusted comrade in the academy, Jemay, who was a spy in <laughs> training for the Eberron militia to join his cause to search for his father. Jemay taught Patrick everything he knew about tracking dragons, but Jemay said this scale appeared to be that of a dragonborn, a half-man, half-dragon, impure race. Jemay confirmed this with the malicious forensics lab. Their focus promptly switched to tracking the habits, behaviors, and location of the black dragonborn. Patrick began learning draconic at an alarming rate, rescuing his father being the only thing on his mind 24-7. He even dropped out of the military academy and revisited the forensics lab, demanding that they create a potion from the dragon scale that would transform him into a dragonborn. The forensics lab had great ethical concerns about this, but Patrick held the doctor at sword point until the deed was done. Still staying in contact with Jemay, and now a fully-fledged black dragonborn himself who is well-versed in the behaviors and habits of his newfound race, Patron is now on a mission to infiltrate the cult of Tiamat, reside in the outskirts of Eberron, rumored to be underground. Relaying information back to Jemay, Jemay informs the Eberron militia as to the whereabouts of the cult of Tiamat without revealing his sources. I will introduce you to Patron, a Black Dragonborn, level 10, Path of the Red Reaver Barbarian, level 2, Ranger of the Foreign Infiltrator background from Eberron5e.com. And I will post a link to that specific background in the show notes. Okay, I think you made our more veteran listeners their skin crawl because you called Eberron a town, and I'm almost certain it's a region if not a continent. Oh, no, I'm talking you about it's like New York City, New York, you know what I mean? It's like that. Oh, it's Ebron right, right, City. Right. Ebron City, Ebron. You didn't know that? Okay, yeah, that clears the one. whole thing up. Thank you. Anyways. You're also looking for bonus points by using Patron, which was the name of your character in the game that I DM'd, where this is funny because Patron was one of the least wise characters I think anyone has, has ever encountered. <laughs> going so far as to break some clay pots and almost killing all of his friends with hallucinogenic powder. Yes. But if our listeners want to be wise, they should pick up some cantrip candles to boost the ambiance of their table <laughs> during games like D&D and Pathfinder. After all, cantrip candles are 100% soy-based candles that are designed just for that, and they offer a great selection of scents that smell just like different locations in the fantasy world, sanctuaries, scriptoriums, even an old musty tavern. I've been on a kick lately with the library scriptorium scented candle with its notes of parchment, aged wood, and leather. Perfect for those long nights your wizard spends studying in his spell books. But to be honest, these candles can transport you just about anywhere within your fantasy games because they offer candles that are perfect for every single scenario you can think of. We got the sampler pack here at the lab, and let me tell you, we use a different scent for every game night, and it's always perfect. If you want to check out their offerings, their sampler packs give you all of their scents for just $11 plus shipping. And once you decide that you want to buy every single one of them, we are happy to announce that you now can, and the lab will help cover some of the cost. Use coupon code LABRAT, all one word, for 10% off of your total purchase price. Be sure to check them out. That is Cantrip Candles. And if you don't know how to spell Cantrip, you certainly shouldn't be playing D&D. Thank you, Dan and Cantrip Candles, for that message. Very exciting to be offering a coupon code for you guys because Cantrip Candles is an awesome company. Really cool folks over there. Wonderful product. Now it is time to get started into the melee category. Woo, Dan, I'm, sh I'm shaking now because I know you got a barbarian. But I have a monk, and Heek is no slouch when it comes to melee. I have a plus 7 to hit, 1d8 plus 3 slashing damage because of my talons as an Aarakocra. 
and I have two attacks. I can also use Flurry of Blows, so I at least have one bonus attack, if not two. I am arguing a plus two. Yeah, you're not going to get a plus two. You're up against I am a arguing. You're, you're up against a barbarian. I'm just, I can't. I am arguing a plus one. Yeah, you can maybe get a plus one. I'm going to argue maybe. a plus two. Yeah, I'm going to argue a plus two. It depends on how I feel after I list all this off. I have a great axe, plus seven to hit, 1d12 plus three slashing, two attacks. I also have Hunter's Mark, which is that ranger spell, which allows you to deal out a one extra 1d6 damage to a target whenever you hit it with a weapon attack, and you have ad- advantage on any wisdom, blah, 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 when it, that it can help you find it. That'll come into play later. Plus two damage when raging, of course. I can do that up to four times per short or long rest. Uh, I also have Savage Attacker Feet, which I don't think we've ever featured on this show, but it's a really cool one. Once per turn, when you roll damage for a melee weapon attack, you can re-roll the weapon's damage dice and use either total. Did you know about this feat? Very nice. Yes, I, I read it a while ago because I was considering it once for my Barbarian, but that's underrated. So I wanted to skin this as, uh, especially if he's, you know, fighting a, a fellow black dragonborn, that he knows the ins and outs of them so well. He's studied their inner workings and their habits and, and their weak, weak points, their Achilles heels. And so he can take the better total of those two. You basically get advantage on uh, damage dice rolls, which is really cool. Also Brutal Critical, which I'm sure you've gone over several times on this show, but it allows you to roll one additional weapon damage die when you have a critical hit. So I am arguing a plus two. So Dan, I did a little math while you were talking and you don't blow me out of the water as much as you think you do because your potential max damage, if you're raging with your great ax and if you apply Hunter's Mark, is 40 damage in a round. Now, that's correct. That is more impressive because of your Savage Attacker feat, which increases your chances of getting closer to that number 40. Correct. But my potential, if I expend a key point to use Flurry of Blows, is 44 damage per round. But you're not as likely so, to get it. But monk. this is closer so than you think it is. Yeah, I respect this argument because you have a monk. You're just as worthy of a plus two as I am, but you're not going to get it because you're going to roll for it. And I think this roll is going to be booty. All right, so you're making this monk roll right out the gate, and I rolled a four, so yeah, you're right. Yeah, so going into ranged, I'm arguing a zero. So I have a javelin, plus seven to hit, 1d6 plus five piercing, two attacks. You can argue rage, you can argue all the aforementioned stuff with savage attacker, but I think at the end of the day, it's a javelin, and I think a zero is fair. That's fair. I'm saying fuck ranged. Yeah? I have talons, so I don't feel like I'd even really be able to grasp a dart appropriately. So you're saying minus two, huh? Yeah, and I don't even care. I was going to say, because you definitely have deflect missiles, but that's okay. Anyway. Hold on. You don't know my arguments, Dan. Don't tell me what my arguments are just because you think you know monks so well. (laughs) I got plans, brother. Okay, then tell me what you have for burninating. You know it. Empowered strikes. That's right. Magic claws. Because it's an uninteresting argument, I will accept a zero. Because I got a plus one for melee. This is all the same, but it's magic. We're level 12. No. That's still 40 magic damage in a round. All right, fine. You'll take a zero. What do you have? Super unoriginal. You could have taken, like, magic initiate feet or something. I'm arguing a zero. I have a 46 acid breath weapon. I also have the devourer trait from the Red Reaver Barbarian, which I didn't mention is from... Xanathar's Lost Notes to Everything Else by the Guild Adepts. Um, Oh, okay. Yes, yes. So we have featured that 
in our show previously, but there's a lot of good stuff in there, so I went back to it. This Devourer trait allows my weapons to be counted as magic when raging for purposes of overcoming damage resistances and immunities. So while I have this Acid Breath weapon, kind of boring, the Devourer trait overcoming those resistances and immunities while raging, pretty cool. And that's just one of the things it can do. So I'm arguing a zero. Yeah. I think it's boring. Yes, you're right. That is kind of boring. But are right. you controlling? Yeah. So this is gonna. This is where we get listy. All right. I have detect poison and disease, danger sense, natural explorer, and humanoids are my favorite favored enemy. News. Feral. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's why I breezed over that. I also have feral instinct, which gives me advantage on inif- initiative rolls. I also have who sang- cares. I also have sanguine scent, which is a feature of the path of the red reaver barbarian. At third level, my senses become preternaturally attuned to the scent of blood. As an action on your turn, you can draw a deep breath to immediately track the scent of creatures around you. For the next 10 minutes, you're able to smell the approximate or exact, if you spend one hit die, number of living creatures within 120 feet of you. Or if you're tracking a single target, the range becomes five miles and you can impose disadvantage against the target's saving throws against being tracked. So cool. You're just like this. And you just smell and track. So that paired with a ranger, I feel like nothing is getting past me. Why would you even want those ranger levels when you have something like that, which feels like a much better tracking mechanism? Well, because rangers are more traditionally have have the tracking abilities, and then they have that favored enemy. Because this guy was studying dragonborns, I felt it thematically appropriate to say he had a favored enemy. Because he definitely did. Um, Nice. Okay, great. I also took the observant feat, which increases your intelligence or wisdom score by one but then if you see a creature's mouth while it's speaking a language you understand you can interpret what it's saying by reading its lips you also have a plus five bonus to passive perception and passive investigation scores so again he's studied draconic so much and he's so enveloped in their culture and habits that he can out of the corner of his eye see two of them talking and know exactly what they're saying i thought it was just a cool cool little wisdom trait Dan, I think this episode is about you and I creating characters that the other person is going gaga over because I love this hyper-aware barbarian you're working on here. That's that's pretty <laughs> cool. So is this a, a plus two argument for control? It is. It's a plus two, yes. I'm going to make you roll for that. Fair I don't enough. think I'd ever expect a barbarian to be doing a control roll, but yes, this one is appropriate. The charisma is 10, so not looking good. Let's see. I rolled a 16. That won't do it. Oh, if you had a little bit of charisma. <laughs> just a touch. How controlling are you, uh, Eep! <laughs> it's just Heek. Thank you very much. <laughs> so this is where I dip into the Way of the Turning Circle. I took this from a supplement I found on Dungeon Master's Guild called Teachings of the Inner Temple, a monk handbook by David J. Moore. Now, folks, this is a 199 Electrum bestseller 20-page book with six new monastic traditions, and I have kept it a secret from Dan until today because I didn't want him dipping in on the G drive that we share and reading all this shit. (laughs) So I am a pretty controlling monk. The way of the turning circle, as I mentioned, is all about turning your enemy against themselves. So I'm going to start with my level three ability, Grasp the Bird's Tail. What it does is actually builds on a ability from another monastic tradition called the Gentle Fist, which is all about stopping damage and even healing damage. And the Way of the Turning Circle takes those ideas and takes them further. So as a reaction, you can add your proficiency bonus to your AC, which makes my AC jump up from a 17 to a 21. 
against one melee attack. When I make a successful parry using this maneuver, my attacker must make a deck save, and if they're large or smaller, on a failed save, I grab them and drag them into an unoccupied space within five feet. Their lost sense of balance causes the next attack against them before the start of my turn to be made at advantage. So that allows my friends to hit them for free. Oh, I love it. And it's not considered a grapple because it's just a quick split second move. I can see it in my head exactly what what's happening. That's beautiful. I love that. Yes. And then at level six, I get walking the circle. You learn circular footwork. So your attack patterns have a devastating effect, continually stepping around their defenses. If you're within five feet of an opponent, I can move five feet without provoking before attacking and I gain advantage on the next attack. I love the use of advantage disadvantage with these monks. I love that. So those those are my two things. I'm just bringing two of my features from the monastic tradition right into this for a plus two based on cool. Oh man, you're taking advantage of me. No, I mean, you'll get a plus <laughs> you get a plus 1 cuz I had a little bit more going on. But think about the context of these abilities. They're great. I'm granting advantage. I'm not taking anything away from the abilities. I love it. It's just that I I was a little bit more controlling. I spent 2 feats on it to be honest. But it doesn't <laughs> get much more controlling than getting advantage on attacks. It is pretty controlling. You also help your friends uh, a little bit with not that. Back, you're not backing down, huh? No. How tanky All are right. you? Monkey. Evasion, patient defense, immunity to disease and poison. I've got that AC of 17, which can become a 21 for one attack. And I have 120 hit points, which is pretty good for a monk. I'm sure yours is going to be much higher. I'm arguing a two because I think this is is better than expected for a monk. You didn't even say deflect missiles. And something else that's even better than deflect missiles that I'll mention later. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to go off on a little soliloquy here about monks because I feel like I always have to sell them <laughs> to everybody, but high-level monks are so tanky. Yeah. That's like one of my favorite things about them. They have the cool abilities of the rogue and also just get in the mix and do hand-to-hand combat. So I digress. I love your character. So I'm Argyno plus one. I have an AC of 16, 140 hit points. I have the trait called Devourer, which I mentioned a little bit about earlier. So at third level... Your thirst for blood channels the life force of your foes to sustain you. When you're raging and below half of your hit point max, at the start of your turn, you can enter a a devouring rage by expending any number of hit die as a bonus action, which I think is really cool. So for the duration of your rage, so a a maximum of 10 turns, your weapons become magical for the purposes of overcoming damage resistances and immunities, which I mentioned, and on a hit... You regain the number of hit points equal to one plus the number of hit die you spend. On a critical hit, you restore twice that amount of hit points. So your target must have blood in order to regain this many hit points. And at the beginning of each turn, if you haven't hit a hostile creature since your last turn, you suffer damage equal to the number you would regain on a hit, but retain your Devouring Rage and its features. Your Devouring Rage ends once you reach your hit point maximum or you exit your rage, whichever happens first. I just think this is so cool. There's no way I can't take a plus one. I really like it. That is such a fun berserker type ability. It's it's below half your hit point maximum, which I like that little caveat because it's like a little bit of desperation and you're just really channeling what drives you and you go into this just other level type of combat where you're actually getting invigorated with every swing that you're taking on these guys and i absolutely love the theming of this thing yeah absolutely you can have your plus one now before i go into how i help my friends this week the big ask that we have of our listeners 
and how they can help us over here at the D&D Character Lab. It doesn't cost a single penny. All we ask is that you make a list of your favorite podcasts and go find each one of them on whatever audio platform you fancy the most. Take a couple of minutes out of your day to write up a heartfelt review. Simple as that. This helps creators just like us spread the word of our show to a wider audience. In our case, more D&D players. Also, do us a favor and tell your tabletop party about our podcast. We would really appreciate it. And we wouldn't even make you roll for that plus two on Ally Assist. Now, I'm arguing a plus one, personally. And okay. I'm taking a little bit of a different approach here. So I'm going to start with how my allies help me. The foreign infiltrator background has a feature called Handler, which reads, As a foreign infiltrator, in order to ultimately be effective, you... You needed to have a handler that can help pass you information and goals. This handler might be associated with the criminal underworld, the rough and tumble folks of the streets, or members of high society. This connection it comes in the form of a contact in a major city or country. Person provides information about the people and places of the local area. This person also has general knowledge of where you are and may meet you in other cities from time to time. And you know how to discreetly get messages to them and from them. So, okay, Jamey over there in the militia, <laughs> is my handler. And, you know, there's a lot of background features that have, like, you know the criminal underworld, and you know this and that. I think this is pretty cool because you have a specific guy. You have a specific NPC, and that's what I think it it really gets to that specific point. And so this handler cool. comes in, and he can help me in certain ways. If, if I send him messages and I'm in dire trouble, he can send the militia. I also have Blood of the Pack, which is a trait of the Red Reaver Path Barbarian. At 10th level, your Wild Blood Fury is tempered by the bond you share with your allies. While your current hit point total is at least half of your hit point maximum, you can expend any number of hit dies as an action to heal an equal number of living creatures other than you within 10 feet of you. On your turn, roll one hit die for each creature, each creature you target with this feature. The creature regains a number of hit points total to the result, plus your constitution modifier, which is zero, but minimum of one. Repeat the process for each creature you choose. Once you use this feature, you suffer one level of exhaustion, and you can't use this feature again until you feature a long rest. I really like this because it utilizes exhaustion, which you don't really see that much in 5e unless you're using encumbrance, or you have some rules on sleep, or you're playing Tomb of Annihilation. Um... <laughs> Yeah, I also really like the fact that it's sort of draining your lifeblood from you a little bit. And I also do like the fact that you can choose anybody that's within 10 feet of you. And you guys, you could just be like the coach of a team and just be like, guys, come close. And and then you just start rolling, hit die, rolling, hit die. You can regain quite a bit, you know, because as you know, the barbarians hit die is a D12. So pretty cool. Yeah, well, I see it more like you you're slashing your arm with your great axe and the blood just sprays into everybody else and they absorb it in. But that's also, that's cool because it's using hit die and it's using exhaustion. So you're really kind of putting yourself at a disadvantage there. Yeah. Because you are literally attacking a disadvantage after that. Yeah. And, and it's, it's just a cool selfless battler brute move. I just really like it. Very barbarian feeling. Oh yeah. So for this, I'm yeah. arguing a, a, a plus one. Really cool argument. Yes, I will. Uh, I will absolutely grant a plus one on that. It's funny. I was going to try something a little different myself too, and mine is not going to stack up as far as overall value goes. But I'm going to try and grant myself advantage on this argument by once again playing to your weakness. So I am going to talk about my level eleven ability, Double Lotus Hand Deflection. Mm. You spin and spiral your arms with such speed that you turn your circular movements into an absolute defense against ranged weapon attacks. So I'm going to argue that I have my friend stand close 
when the ranged attacks come in and I start pulling off the double Lotus. You spend a key point as a reaction and all ranged weapon attacks automatically miss until the start of your next turn. Additionally, the wind you create pushes nearby creatures backwards. Large or smaller creatures within five feet must succeed on a strength save or be pushed back five feet. So you're really clearing up some space for yourself, especially if you're in in a bad way. Wow, nice. So I don't have any classic ally assist moves here, but I'm saying if I have a friend next to me, I would argue to my DM, if I pull off this move, he should be safe from ranged attacks too if he's standing directly next to me. And we might clear up a little bit of breathing room. I'll take a zero because that's yeah, that's a bit of a stretch. I like it. It's a, cre- well, it's a creative argument. And I also like challenging the DM by just using uh, common sense sometimes. Sometimes the mechanics don't say it all. If you have a good enough argument, argue with your DM. I'm not encouraging mm-hmm. it. I'm just saying sometimes it's it's worth it. So good argument. But how balanced are you? This is a nearly perfect balance, Mon. I am going to argue a plus two. I have a strength of eight. Not necessary. Dex of 16. Con of 15. Intelligence of 10. Wisdom of 19. Charisma of 12. Got that 120 hit points. AC of 17. Speed of 45 feet. Flying of 50 feet. Stealth 8, Survival 8, Acrobatics 8, History 4. Spoiler alert on my X-Factor, I would absolutely play this monk. I'm so excited <laughs> about this character. I like it too. You're arguing a plus 2 in balance? Yes. Yeah, it's a, it's a pretty balanced monk. I'm going to argue a plus 1. It's fairly balanced. I have a plus 3 in strength with a 17 total, 13 dex, 11 con, 8 intelligence, 16 wisdom, and 10 charisma. Passive perception of 22. I have plus 7 to survival, plus 7 to perception, plus 3 to nature, and then, of course, proficiency in constitution and strength saving throws. The fact that I get advantage on initiative rolls is a nice little bonus, and it takes away from the plus 1 dex. The only reason I'm not arguing a plus 2 here is because normally I would like my barbarians with a little bit more constitution, but this is an overly wise overly wise dragonborn barbarian so i had to take it from somewhere so and now that i hear your stats i have to assume that your guy is wearing some sort of armor to have a ac of 16 yes he is okay that's fine i can accept that yes you can have your plus one and i will introduce our charisma submission sent in by our patron gabe from interparty conflict which i don't think we talked enough about on our last show, you guys should definitely check out Gabe's podcast. Interparty Conflict is an awesome conversation piece. They have questions from the audience. They discuss hot topics around the table. And they bring up some really interesting stuff, like things that we're going to implement in our game, Dan, like rolling your attack and your damage at the same time. It speeds combat along. Because if you get the hit, yeah. then you're not taking time to do all the math. These are things that Gabe and Jeff are talking about. They're also really nice guys, great rapport, and they were kind enough to have us on their show. And Gabe is even more kind to be a patron of ours. He's a great dude. Uh, If you want to check out that episode, it is called Our Good Friends, and it aired on July 3rd. Well, thank you, Gabe. And we are now going to talk about this week's charisma submission, which is you are approached by the avatar of a deity. How do you convince them to join your mission? Dan, this is really open. I don't know what the mission is. I don't know what the deity is, but take it. What is your smooth operator attempt? My smooth operator, I'm arguing a minus one. Uh, I'm a black dragon. And my deity is the one and only Tiamat. Uh, I would use my (laughs) proficiency in persuasion to tell the story of what happened to my father and recruit him to my efforts. However, my persuasion is a plus zero. So I have no persuasive abilities. 
he probably won't believe me that I drank a potion. It's a good story. And if I rolled well, that's the only reason I didn't roll, that I didn't put a minus two. And I also put, because I'm a black dragon, I would praise the almighty Tiamat regardless of the deity's alignment. So that probably wouldn't work in my favor either. So yeah, uh, <laughs> I'm going to argue minus one. Yeah, very honest with yourself. Okay, my deity would be Lathander, the Morning Lord. One of the top, top guys as, as it comes to Forgotten Realms gods. I would approach Lathander and you have to imagine this really serene looking duck girl. I kind of just start a conversation with him and just kind of let him know that I'm on his level in really subtle ways. The way I talk, just he just sees that I'm not easily flustered. I'm very serene. I can kind of almost meet him on the level that he's used to talking with other deities because deities aren't that stressed out very much. What do they have to worry about, right? Well, utilizing the power of my tranquil mind and stillness of mind, I can do that. Now, tranquil mind is the feat I took, which is also out of the teachings of the inner temple, where I increased my wisdom by one. I gain advantage on wisdom saves against being charmed or frightened, and I'm immune to any spell or effect that would sense my emotions or alignment. So I'm a bit of a mystery to him and maybe also try to fool him without saying it, into thinking I might be more than a mortal myself. Then I kick it up a notch and I say, hey, you come with us. I know it's gonna be weird. You're down here on the ground with all the normies, but if you ever wanna fly up to the clouds with me, we could just kick it on a cloud and chill and decompress for a minute. And I think that would really set him at ease. I'm yeah. arguing a plus one. You always gotta incorporate just a tiny little element of douchiness, so yeah. What's douchey about chilling on the clouds? A little douchey. But so you're gonna give me you're the plus in a one, one now. Plus one? Yeah, you'll take it plus one. Thank you. So, but how are you going to handle this aggressively? I would see Lathander from a distance. I would then use Step of the Wind to dash up to him. I would use Sunning Strike to stun his nuts. And then I would use my background feature from being an escapee called On the Run. You started running when you escaped from your prison and you've been running ever since. You know how to get away and you'll do it again if you have to. And I just get away from him and keep running until he gets sick of it. And I finally say, join our party and this can all stop. Yeah, this is not as strong. I'm gonna give you a minus one. That's fair. Yeah, that was not really that great. I'm not gonna... even a zero for nut stunning. <laughs> I don't know. I don't Hold know what on. that means. Let me roll to. Let me roll to stun his nuts. I don't know what you this means. Wisdom, you roll the wisdom save or constitution save, whichever more you, whichever you think is more appropriate for a nut stun save. I rolled a fourteen. I rolled a seven. I think his nuts probably <laughs> deflected my hand. His nuts are far too wise for you. Sorry. So I'm arguing a zero here. So if the deity refused to join my effort, I'd inform my handler to send the militia over as I was in dire danger and I would turn the entire Eberron militia against this deity. If he were to run, I would track him down with my abilities, my numerous abilities to track, and I would slay him. <laughs> I would attempt okay. to slay him. I don't think it would be very possible. That's why I'm arguing a zero. <laughs> I think this is also minus one worthy because you're kind of, you're double dipping on previous stuff and it, it's well, a little weedy. All right, fine. Minus one. Now for the X factor today, I think we should go into why you think your character is wise. Okay. So Garen, why is your character wise? Heek is wise because she learned lesson of the streets. You know, she saw her dad fall and she saw what became of him after that. And she saw in that moment 
that if people are going to be like that, those who are aware of those failures, of those shortcomings, are going to come out on top every time. And she is also really freaking hard to take down in a combat, and she's going to wise her way out of those punches. Yeah, I like this uh, monastic tradition because it's kind of like quick moving, like you have a little bit of know-how on your opponent. Almost like Drunken Master, where you, you can just kind of weave in and out and get advantage on attacks just because you have specific know-how. So I think, I think it's pretty spot on. I really enjoyed this character build this week. I think that Patron is wise because he has this uh, very honed-in study of his enemy, um, and he is... Uh-huh. just really devoted his life to kind of infiltrating and becoming one of them just so that one day he can finally take them down from the inside. So I really enjoyed all of the different abilities here in this subclass of Barbarian. And like I mentioned, I did not need the Ranger subclasses. I did it mostly for flavor because I, I like having the, f- the favored enemy and I do like having, no doubt about it, tracking so and he did he did have two spells as well. I, I liked having the hunter's mark and detect poison and disease, which the way I saw it in my mind was, you know, he had to drink this potion to become an acidic black dragonborn, and so it, it made sense yes. to me that he had to kind of navigate his way around disease and all that stuff. So Yeah, you made a you made a fun character this week with excellent flavor as far as the backstory goes, and I love that barbarian. That is a cool barbarian out of Xanathar's lost notes to everything else. So we totally should just switch character sheets at the end of this and we can play these guys sometime. <laughs> Sounds good. But I think we both know what comes next. One of us has to win and one of us has to lose. So what are the results this week, Aaron? You're wrong. We tied. Perfect. Perfect week, Dan. Four it to is four. A, it is a perfect week. Uh, to be honest with you, if there were ever a more worthy tie, I would like to know about it because this was these were two very well-designed characters. And we both wanted each other's character to do well because we liked them. So... Great job, you wise ass. These wise guys came out on top. And now I will take a moment to tell our listeners about a few things that we've got coming out of the lab that we always like to mention. If you'd be interested in picking up our Bard's College of Throwing supplement on DMs Guild, it is pay what you want, so you can download it for free. We've got our Patreon, where tiers start at $1 and move all the way up to 20 Bonus episodes, fan battles, early access to the show, merch, and more. Check it out at patreon.com slash dndcharacterlab. Speaking of merch, we still have our shirts on Spreadshirt. The link is in the episode description. And number four, we've been working on something that we're very excited to share with you guys, and it will be happening soon. Stay tuned in future (laughs) weeks as we will reveal more details. I know this is a terrible tease. So much wisdom you bring to that, Garen. Well, there's, regardless, pretty great stuff coming out of the lab in the coming weeks and months ahead. I would also like to mention that uh, recently we've had a lot of content creators, publishers, and other people in the D&D community reach out to us lately about featuring their content on our show. If you too would like your content featured on our show, feel free to shoot us an email at dndcharacterlab at gmail.com and we'll be sure to get back to you quickly. We are two very flexible and very enthusiastic D&D players and we are more than happy to uh, theme an episode around a supplement that is worthy. So that about wraps it up for us this week, Lab Rats. Just remember, it doesn't have to be optimized. It just has to be fun. Thank uh, you for uh, this. This has been a production of the D&D Character Lab Podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at DND Character Lab. Or shoot us an email at dndcharacterlab at gmail.com. 
Most importantly, make sure you subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or the Apple Podcast app. 